Welcome back to the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. On today's episode, I sat down with Lindsay Duckworth to discuss her experience in leadership, training, and physical therapy in the United States Army. Lindsay and I dive into her why behind joining the Army, her journey to becoming a company commander of more than 80 soldiers, and what it takes to make a successful leader. We discuss how the physical therapist's role in the Army differs from civilian life, as well as how she and her team prepare soldiers for high-pressure combat situations. I loved hearing Lindsay's perspective on everything she does, and I hope you enjoy this awesome conversation. Without further ado, here's Lindsay. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited to just dive into things with you today, talk a little bit about your journey and all the things that you're doing. Um, So I'd love if we can just start with a little introduction, if you can tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so um, I'm Lindsay Duckworth. I'm a physical therapist in the United States Army. So with that said, a little disclaimer, um, anything I say is, you know, not reflective of the Army. It's my own personal viewpoints. But um, I've been in the Army about seven years my first three years in the army were spent going through military training. And then I went through the U S army Baylor university doctoral program in physical therapy, and then spent three and a half years after that serving as a physical therapist in the army. Um, then about three months ago, I took a little sidestep away from being a physical therapist. Uh, a cool thing about the army is you can have some career broadening opportunities. So right now I'm serving as what we call a medical company commander. And so as a medical company commander, my responsibility is to oversee about 83 soldiers of various medical specialties, um, doctors, PAs, dentists, and we provide medical care in a combat environment. Um, You can think of it as like a mobile emergency room type thing. So that's, that's a, that's me in a, in a snippet. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you so much for your service. And yeah, of course. And um, that's, that's awesome. And that's cool to hear that you've kind of transitioned from, you know, primarily practicing physical therapists, I assume, to now more of this management leadership role. Um, and I imagine that that's challenging working with so many different disciplines too. Like, had, have you had to kind of learn a little bit about uh, more of the day in, day out stuff of those other medical practitioners, like the doctors and the PAs and stuff? Yes, definitely have to learn their skill set and their role, and not just um, from a medical perspective, but also from a military medicine perspective. And so what's their role in a, in a combat environment? And what does running a clinic in a combat environment look like? Because um, it's totally different than running a clinic in the civilian world, because um, we have combat to take into consideration as well. So there's been a learning curve. Um, but I've I've, in, I've enjoyed it so far. Yeah, that's really cool. And mm-hmm. I'd be curious to hear about like what led you to your decision to join the Army? Great question. So I come from a military family. So both of my grandfather served, um, my great uncle served, my um, uncle served, and then my dad served for, for 32 years in the Army. So it was always in the back of my mind to serve. And I just I just loved growing up in a military family. And I saw what the military did for me and how it provided for me. Um, And so kind of had a desire to serve those who served me. And then 
when I was in high school, had the opportunity to shadow an Army physical therapist and learn about the Army Baylor program. And so that's when I was like, this is what I want to do, you know, combine my passions to serve in the military and combine my passions to, to be a physical therapist. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Lindsay. That's super, you know, interesting. And I've always just kind of been curious about what motivates somebody to take that step and join the military. Because um, as somebody who, you know, is an aspiring high achiever, I'm super interested in high performance. And there's definitely something that's unique about a person who, you know, decides to serve their country and go into the military. So I really respect you for that. And I'd love to dive into a little bit uh, more specifically about you being not just a female in the army, but also having a leadership role um, as a female soldier. Have there kind of been any challenges along the path to getting into that leadership role? Or can you just kind of shed some light on what it's like um, being, you know, in the role that you're in and especially as as a woman? Yeah, great question. So if you would have asked me this question like 10 years ago, my answer probably would have been a lot different. But in the past decade or so, the Army has made really good strides for equal opportunity for women. So um, women have served in the military in some capacity since the Civil War, but it wasn't actually until like 1943 where they were actually to be able to fully serve and like wear a rank on their chest. But even then, there were certain roles that women couldn't uh, have simply because they were a woman. Um, And so that policy wasn't repealed in 2013. And so it was in 2013 where women were officially allowed to have the opportunity to have every job um, in the military. So, and I say that since then, even before then, but especially since then, like women have just been smashing um, the glass ceilings of the army. And I really credit to where I got today because of the, the women that have come before me. And, um, you know, there there's times where I'll walk into a meeting of 20 people or so, and I'll be the only woman. Um, and I'm not really intimidated or or anything. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's really the women that have gone before me that have let me get where I am today. Yeah, that's really cool. Wow. Thank you for that. And it's so true. And I, you know, as a woman, um, getting into sports physical therapy, I'll be starting a job at a sports PT clinic, uh, about six weeks from recording this, which I'm really excited about, but even in that space, it's still very dominated by men uh, more so than women. And it's definitely starting to even out. But um, and I think that, you know, some women take more of a kind of intimidated frame going into a field or a position where maybe there are more men. But I definitely see it as um, it can be very empowering, you know, because going into an environment where maybe you're a little bit more unique, you have a different outlook, you have a different skill set. And Um, especially as a physical therapist, I mean, we have the ability to potentially connect with our, you know, female clients on a different level in that way. So um, that's cool. And that's, that's good to hear that obviously things have moved in a great direction over the last decade or so. And people like you, I'm sure are continuing to move that needle, which is, which is awesome. So I'd like to talk a little bit too about just leadership in general, like everything that you've experienced in the army and just as a healthcare provider, um, you are in a leadership role now, but I'm sure you've also had many leaders that you've worked under. I would love to just hear your thoughts on what are the most important characteristics, in your opinion, of a successful leader? Yeah, that's a great question. So two characteristics that come to mind are connection and humility. I find myself 
frequently um, saying to myself, people don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. Um, and I take that to heart with not just as a physical therapist, but just um, as a human being. Um, and I believe that we have to earn the right to be heard um, and that people will not care about the rank that I wear in my chest or the letters before or after my name uh, if they don't know um, that I truly value and care for them. And then also believe that a leader should just be fully transparent and humble. Uh, it's totally okay to say, uh, I don't know the answer to that right now, but I'll get back to you. Or I've never done this before. Can you show me how I've had to say that a lot these past couple of months in my new position? So uh, connection and, and humil- humility are definitely characteristics that I think a successful leader has. I love that. Those are both very wise statements. And it's so true. And I think that many times when people enter a leadership role, they it's easy to kind of get a chip on your shoulder and just think that you have, you know, this power over people and that people are automatically going to respect you. Um, but like you said, I mean, when you're working in the industry of human beings, which working obviously as a physical therapist, but also working as a team in the military, like you need to still be able to connect with your people on a personal level. Um, so that's, that's really powerful. And I'm sure that, you know, definitely contributes to your success and to you getting to the position that you're in now. And yeah, and just speaking and thinking a little bit more, you know, about soldiers and people in the military, uh, like I mentioned in my mind, some of the highest performing individuals around because of the fact that not only do you have to make your skills sharp, but you have to be able to execute those skills in a high pressure environment. So I'd love to just hear a little bit about, you know, especially for the medical team that you work with, how do you and your team assure that soldiers are prepared for combat and prepared to do their job in high pressure environments? Yeah, so in the military, we think about how we have to be prepared for every situation possible. And that can seem daunting to think about but uh, we just start with the basics and we take what we call the crawl walk run approach so you can think about yourself being a little baby and you didn't start immediately running around the house you start by crawling so with crawling what we really mean is mastering the basics in a controlled environment so just repetition after repetition after repetition just striving for perfection and then once you have that task down then you move on to the walk so in the walk phase Uh, You're still doing the routine things routinely, but the environment gets a little bit more unpredictable. So what that might look like for my soldiers is they have to learn how to put IVs into patients. So in that crawl phase, they're going to be doing that in a, you know, classroom type setting, likely having an instructor walking side by side, teaching them exactly how to do that. Then once they master it, uh, we move to a little bit more unpredictable environment. So maybe they're putting that IV in on a soldier that's laying outside wearing full gear so you have to figure out how do you navigate taking off their uniform to put their IV on and so then master at the walk level and then you move into running so for us running would be like a full combat simulation to where you're maybe you're placing that IV in and maybe it's dark outside so you've got low level conditions or maybe there's uh, a there could be a chemical attack. So you have to worry about your gas mask. You have to worry about your weapons. So you're just having to be prepared for, for all types of situations. But we really hammer it down with what we call the, the crawl, walk, run approach. Crawl, walk, run. I really like that. And I think that's awesome that 
you that the military you know breaks it down that way and that you guys use that strategy because when I think of anybody who's developing any kind of skill or trying to develop some kind of new habit, um, you know that you know my show is centered around health and fitness, and I preach about these healthy habits that we should have, right? But a lot of people think that they can just jump right in and then they get frustrated when, you know, the workouts don't feel good right off the bat or the diet's hard to stick to in the beginning. And even, you know, your soldiers in the military, like we said, who are, you know, motivated and mentally resilient, like you're still going through that process of having those growing pains and allowing people to, you know, fail a little bit and learn from the experiences and kind of gradually ramping up the intensity. So I think that's really admirable. And I imagine could probably be applied to, you know, other skills and other habits in life too. Exactly. Exactly. So we, we often say we do the routine things routinely. And so we just, we stress mastering the basics and um, that'll pay off in the end. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, especially from a PT perspective, like the people that we work with, making sure that people are making things game-like with their rehab too, you know, and I'd love to start to kind of switch gears into um, the physical therapy work that you've done over the years and that you continue to do and kind of how you make your physical therapy practice as functional as possible for these soldiers. So if I first could ask you, how does the PT's role in the army differ from a PT in civilian life? Yes. So I would say that we have more autonomy in the army. So I ask myself with every patient, is this patient right for my clinic? And if the answer is yes, uh, that's awesome um, because that means that they can get the care as soon as possible because we have direct access no matter what state that we are working in. So uh, sometimes I get to see a patient within just a couple hours of their injury, which is awesome because I believe that early access to care improves patient outcomes. Yeah, had had one a couple weeks ago where um, a guy tore his pec muscle bench pressing, and so he texted me about an hour after it happened and said, "Hey, are you busy? Can you can you take a look at me?" And I said, "Absolutely." So he was in my office uh, probably two hours after the incident. So I emailed him, checked him out. Uh, determined that I did think his pec was torn and was able to get him an MRI ordered that day. So it was great that, um, that he had early access to physical therapy so we could, that we could get the ball rolling on his, on his treatment. And it's very helpful in our scenario because our soldiers have to be ready to deploy at a moment's notice. And so the longer time that it takes for a soldier to care is the greater amount of time that they're out of the fight. So the quicker they can get clear, we can um, get, get them back into the, t- to the fight, so to say, and then also have the ability to write some prescriptions. Um, so yeah, it's just nice to have that autonomy, but of course we still provide in a, in a multi di- multidisciplinary team. So I work frequently with like orthopedics, work with PAs. I'll, I'll call up a PA if I'm like, hey, I don't know if this is quite something that's musculoskeletal. Can you take a look at it? Or call up ortho if I see something that I'm like, hey, do you want to see this now or later? So have autonomy, but still but still work with other providers, which is great. I mean, I think that's awesome that you guys have all of that autonomy. And hopefully us uh, PTs in civilian life, the, the, rest of, the rest of the world will take notes and we can hopefully get some of that. Um, but that being said, I mean, I know one thing that a lot of us physical therapists advocate for in general is this idea of direct access. You know, we want patients to come to us first and 
unfortunately, not that many people have that understanding of like when they should see a PT first. And most people will go to a medical provider and, you know, that can all spiral. So in your experience in the army, do you find that soldiers are pretty, um, like, do they look to come to physical therapists first? Or are you having a lot of soldiers that see another provider first? Like, what is that dynamic like? Yes. So I do feel like, like they're still wanting to go the, the primary care route rather than going to physical therapy route first. I don't think that's um, not harping on anybody, but I, I think the biggest thing is uh, almost physical therapists not advocating for ourselves and not getting the word out about the expertise that we have. Not that other primary care providers don't have expertise, but we are the experts when it comes to, to movement and musculoskeletal conditions. So I think it's really on us just to just to educate what we can do and advocate for ourselves. But I, I do see that um, patients wanting to go the, the primary care route rather than going the PT route. I'm, I'm thinking that's changing. Uh, the the army really is giving us physical therapists a lot of autonomy when it comes to that direct access. So, um, I think people are starting to buy in and see what we can, we, what we can do for them, which is great. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So that, that is still a, a general, uh, thing that we're, you know, trying to overcome as physical therapists, but, and in terms of like the facilities and the equipment that you have access to, like, is it a pretty standard physical therapy clinic setup? Do you guys work alongside like strength and conditioning facilities as well. What is that dynamic like for rehab for a soldier? Yeah, we've got a really great setup. So um, in my clinic, uh, you know, have squat racks, have ski ergs, have rowers, have all of that. And then right next door is uh, we have we have strength and conditioning coaches and athletic trainers that we work with that are right next door as well. So, um, yeah, to be honest, our our physical therapy clinic doesn't look much different than a gym which is how I how I think it it should be so yeah I am with you on that and that actually became one of my non-negotiables when I was job searching um I spent some time down at Vertex a few weeks ago with you know our girl Amy and the rest of the crew there and after spending a few days with them and seeing that clinic when I continued my job search, I decided like, if there's not a squat rack in my clinic, I don't want it, you know? And I knew that that was a lot to ask because it's not the common scenario. Um, And I'm grateful that I found that in my my first job. But um, yeah, it's so true. And especially, I mean, if you're working with soldiers, like they've got to perform, they've got to be physically worked. And the the red TheraBand and the 10 pound dumbbell isn't going to necessarily cut it. Yeah all the way out into rehab, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So speaking of, um, in terms of like kind of discharging a soldier back to duty after suffering an injury or something like that, do you have like return to play type protocols, army version, like making sure that the soldier is ready to get back into training and kind of all of the physical demands of their job? Yeah. So every physical therapist you talk to might be slightly different, but the things I look at are, are look at two things. So, uh, in the army, we have to take a semi-annual fitness test and it actually just went over a huge overhaul. So it used to be, uh, two minutes of pushups, two minutes of sit-ups, and a two mile run. So you do that twice a year, but actually, uh, New test is what we call an army combat fitness test. It's been in the work for several years now, and actually October 1st is when it becomes official, but much more physically demanding. So it it includes a three rep max deadlift, an event we call the standing power throw, which is 
throwing a 10 pound medicine ball over your head, hand release push-ups, um, an event we call the sprint drag carry, which involves sprinting, dragging, dragging a sled, carrying kettlebells, um, a two mile run, and then a, a max plank. So that's, that's, that's what it's our new fitness test. Um, and so that's something that I look at is making sure that my soldiers can get back to doing that fitness test, but then also just looking at what their job demands are, um, and seeing what their job requires of them. And, you know, are you a mechanic that's got to lift heavy odd objects? Are you an infantryman who rucks a lot of miles with gear on your back? Are you a pilot that sits in a cockpit with a heavy helmet? Um, so just asking them what's required of them because you have to have the mindset of tomorrow they could get called to go to war. So you just need to make sure they are in, you know, tip of the spear shape um, before before discharging them. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's very admirable that you take into account all of those considerations. And I mean, like you said, you have to, but um, it says a lot about how dedicated you are to making sure these these soldiers are ready. And that fitness test sounds intense. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's um, there's been a lot of debate around it. Um, I could go on and on about that, but I, I, I think it's good. My my strength and conditioning brain is just thinking of like all the different facets that are covered within that, um, which I think sounds like a good thing. I mean, what are what are your thoughts on that big transition for soldiers in terms of like training for it and stuff? Yes, so I think it's great. So basically, one uh, some of the de- deciding factors to overhaul the test were they were seeing that somebody could be a rock star, get a max score on that previous fitness test, but not be prepared for the physical demands of combat. So they wanted a test that got a better gauge of um, a test for combat. And also with the previous test, you noticed that there was no type of like strength training involved. And so with this new fitness test, um, it's about getting soldiers uh, into a more regimented strength training program. So we're trying to change the fitness culture of the force and trying to get out of the old army mindset that you just need to run miles and miles and miles. So I, I like the test cause I think it was, it's kind of the catalyst to, to change the fitness culture of the army. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I also am getting, um, kind of like CrossFit esque vibes from there too. So I imagine for you, I know you, you do a bit of CrossFit yourself, um, that that's definitely a good modality to probably help you pre- prepare for some aspects of that test too, right? Yeah, definitely. And so, um, and I don't train for any particular part of the event, but just my CrossFit training just carries over so well in, in, into the test. So that's been fun to to see how I can make improvements in my ACFT score without uh, training or training a particular particular event. Yeah, that's awesome. And all of these things considered, I mean, between the training that soldiers are doing you know, day-to-day type of training. And then on top of training for this fitness test and stuff, um, as a physical therapist, I'm sure there's a whole host of injuries that you're seeing commonly, you know, in the army, but I'd love if you can just talk about kind of like, what are the most common injuries or problems that, um, you're seeing people for? Yeah, that's a great question. So the kind of injury trends are going to differ slightly based on the soldier population that you're working with. So just like a football team is going to have slightly different injury trends than like a a volleyball team or a softball team. The same is true with the army. So 
my first job in the army, I worked with basic trainees. So I'm working with soldiers that are brand new to the army and their bodies are not used to the rock marching and running that they have to do in their 10 weeks of training. So in that environment, I saw a lot of bone stress injuries, stress fractures. Uh, I enjoyed working in that environment. You know, you get um, comfortable working with femoral neck stress fractures, which I feel like in PT school, they like freak you out. I'm like, don't miss femoral neck stress fracture. Oh, yeah, that just, <laughs> just hearing you say that makes me like have anxiety. Yeah. yeah so, um, I mean, yeah, fully comfortable working with, with femoral neck stress fractures and getting them back into running and stuff. So that, that was a great skill set to learn in my environment that I'm in now. I work with, um, primarily what we call infantry soldiers. So soldiers that are on their feet a lot carrying heavy gear. So they're in, they're in good shape, but still see some, what I call like overuse type injuries. So patellofemoral type knee pain, low back pain, stuff, stuff like that. So you'll see, um, a handful of acute injuries from time to time, but right now you see a lot of like overuse load management type, type issues. Yeah. And thinking about that, I mean, that's something that's so common in our profession in general. And a lot of it comes down to, like you mentioned, that term load management. And I love using the phrase load management problem rather than overuse injury problem, because it's true. In a lot of cases, it's like you're fit, you're strong. Like we are meant to perform a lot of work as humans, but it's just not being managed properly. So are you able to, when you recognize that in a soldier that you're working with, are you able to make changes for them? Or are there other, um, you know, people on board that are doing their training with them? Like, how do you kind of attack that problem? Yes. So I, I do have the capability to uh, temporarily alter their fitness. So I can put them on what calls a profile. And so a profile is essentially a piece of paper that they'll give back to their command that says, hey, this soldier needs to not do this or do this for X amount of time. So we can do that. I can also put them in a completely different, like what we call like a reconditioning um, fitness program or type of program. So where they're not working out with their unit, and but they're working out with people that have other injuries. Um, and in that scenario, they can still still fitness but just with modifications based on uh, based on their current injury so I can also put them in that type of group and then we also a new initiative with the army is to have contracted strength and conditioning coaches within the unit so I can also work closely in the strength and conditioning coaches are the ones that are developing the fitness programs and so I can also work with them and just be like hey they've got this going on um they can still do X, Y, and Z, but let's hold off on, you know, this particular type of exercise. So I do have, do have some leniency when it comes to, to modifying programs. Nice. That's good to hear that you guys are going to have strength and conditioning on board. And I think that there's so much power in combining rehabilitation, a rehabilitation specialist with a strength and conditioning specialist, um, and being able to really make sure these soldiers are not only rehabbing properly, but getting more resilient and more fit in the process. And, you know, another thing that's coming to mind, just thinking about all of the different things that influence performance. um, Do you guys have access to like a nutritionist, dietitian, like is, is nutrition type of stuff discussed at all in the army? Yes. Nutrition is, is discussed and it's becoming more, more prominent, which I think is great. So the army has this new initiative that they call the holistic health and fitness, the 
five domains or five pillars of holistic health and fitness are mental readiness, sleep readiness, nutritional readiness, physical readiness, and spiritual readiness. That's awesome. I love to hear that. And that's definitely something that fortunately I think is becoming more common in performance and glad to hear that it's in the military as well is recognizing that there are so many facets that contribute to performing at a high level. Um, so the fact that, you know, the mindset and the spiritual components and all of that's being taken into account, I think is, is really cool. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's great to see mental health or the phrase we use in the military is behavioral health. So seeing behavioral health, uh, an emphasis on that because there has been a stigma in it in the military. People have been afraid to utilize behavioral health resources because they didn't want to be seen as weak or they were scared to utilize behavioral health resources because they thought they might get kicked out of the army. So it it has been great to um, see there be such an emphasis in, in destigmatizing behavioral health and military's even gone an extra step further to where they offer resources that are completely confidential, and so there's no notes that are taken, and so they won't be documented in your in your medical record. Of course, there's there's some caveats, you know, based on the severity, but there's there's tons of resources out there. So the military is doing a great job at at destigmatizing and encouraging people to get help sooner rather than later. That's awesome! Wow, I'm really happy to hear that, and I'm sure that just as time goes on, more people will start to feel more and more comfortable taking advantage of that. Very cool, Lindsay. Um, now I want to start to wrap things up here and kind of finish up with the question that all of my guests get here on the podcast. So my podcast, Goal Set Mindset Podcast, is centered around setting goals and achieving them with the principles of passion, perseverance, and performance. So I would love to hear from you. What's kind of a personal goal that you have right now and how are you working towards it? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say that I have more abstract goals than concrete goals during this season of my life so I have a motto that I try to try to live out every day and those mottos are or collectively a motto is lead well be bold and chase joy and so for lead well my goal is just to lead well in my current job but also uh, leading well in my friendships and just relationships in general and sounds kind of kind of counterintuitive but the way that I've learned that I lead well um, is if I'm leading myself well first and if I'm pouring into myself and realizing that I can't pour from an empty cup and just finding that self-care and how I need to to pour into myself before I can pour into others in order to lead them well. And then uh, be bold is just taking chances, uh, stepping out in faith and trying things that are scary um, because normally they, they pay off in the end and they, they bring you joy and they, they make you a better person. So lead well, be bold, and then chase joy. And chase joy is just my faith in Christ is my, my cornerstone and my compass in my life. And so just always striving to keep my eyes on him no matter what life throws at you. Um, and just always seeking the good and seeking the joy because it's there. Um, his blessings are everywhere. We just have to keep our eyes open to it. So that's what I'm striving for is um, lead well, be bold, chase joy. Wow. Lindsay, I think that's one of the best answers I've ever gotten to that question. I love that. And first off, I just wrote that down as you said it, because that really spoke to me. Lead well, be bold, chase joy. So I'll, that's something that I'm going to probably, that's going to stick, stick with me a little bit. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I love just hearing about these kind of abstract is a good word word to say it when it comes to 
setting goals or just like working towards a better version of yourself. Um, it doesn't always have to be this concrete, measurable, like numerical based goal. I'm excited to continue to keep following your journey. And I'm confident that as long as you keep following those principles, I mean, who knows where you'll end up, but you'll definitely be happy doing it. Yeah, appreciate it. No, and I look forward to staying connected with you and, and seeing where you end up as well. Yeah. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Um, well, this has been an awesome conversation. I would love if you could just share if you have a way that um, listeners can reach out to you if they want to discuss anything from the show or follow what you're doing. Yeah. So easiest way, you can just follow me on Instagram. So uh, my handle's at duckducklins. So that's at D-U-C-K-D-U-C-K-L-I-N-D-S. Love that handle. <laughs> great. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a blast hearing all about your experiences and uh, I think listeners are going to get a lot out of this one. Oh yeah. Thank uh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Lindsay's experiences and insights on leadership and military life as much as I did. If you're enjoying the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe on your platform of choice so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, we will be back next week with another episode.